If you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, found on page 1039. Luke 15, we're going to start at verse uh, 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far-off country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as you would one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. If you wanted to change something in your life, where would you begin? So many people at at New Year's time, they'll make these things called New Year's resolutions. And it might be almost anything. It might be that you're going to get in shape, that you're going to lose some weight, that you're going to do something that you never did before, that you're going to get serious about your devotions. It could be almost anything. You fill in the blank. According to the article I, I read about this, though, they say that only 8%, 8% of the people actually follow through. And... Uh, are able to keep their New Year's resolutions. 8%. That's really not very, very high. Kind of surprised me. And so you ask, why do people have such a hard time keeping things like that? New Year's resolutions or, or other goals that they might have in their lives. And the experts say that it's because we're being motivated by the wrong things. We're being motivated by the wrong things. If you want to lose weight, for example, it has to be more than just feeling bad about your your body image on a particular day. But you have to think it through. If you're going to lose weight, you also need to include your thoughts and your mind. You need to change the way you think about food, the way you think about your health, the way you think about exercising. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your feelings, your actions. No, the renewing of your mind. 
And so that's what we're going to do this morning and for the next couple weeks. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to apply God's Word to different areas of our our lives and, and to allow God to transform us so that our every thought, our every feeling would be pleasing and, and honoring to the Lord. Would you agree, though, that your walk with God is the most important thing? It should be the most important thing for each of us, for each of our lives? You know, because really, when you think about it, your spiritual health, it affects all the different parts. We often compartmentalize we often put our, our lives into, into pieces like a pie. And our spiritual health actually affects everything. And yet we want to just keep it separate. We think, well, this is God's here on Sunday when it's His all through the week. And everything we do, all that we are, also needs to reflect who we are in Christ. I think all of us struggle at times with allowing ourselves to sit on the throne in our life. Instead of letting God sit in in that throne, we replace Him with ourselves and we start calling the shots. We start making the decisions. And then we wonder why our lives become such a mess and they become unmanageable at times. And we feel farther and farther from the Lord. This, I think, is something that every believer struggles with from time to time. None of us are immune from this. I think when you look at Scripture too, you see that many of the saints in the Bible also struggled with this very very same thing. This morning I want to focus specifically on David, and, and we read that Scripture passage earlier in our Confession and Assurance from Psalm 32. And we're also going to focus on... Uh, on one of uh, Jesus' characters in one of his parables, the prodigal son. And we're going to see what motivated them to change. And we'll kind of be going back and forth from one to the other throughout. Now I'm sure the story of the prodigal son is is familiar to most of you. I've always loved that image of the, the father running to his son. And the reason he runs to his son is because he sees his son when he's far off yet, which tells us that his father was longing for his son to come home. Longing. That was a desire of his heart. I wonder how many mornings he stood in that exact spot, looking down that road, just wishing that his son would return. And our passage says that when he sees his son, he hikes up his robe, and he runs to his son. And before his son can even apologize, he wraps his arms of love around his son and and embraces him with joy. Now, in that culture, a man never lifts his robe up. You never show your legs. That would would be something no man would even think of doing. It would be humiliating. That's exactly what this father did. That's how excited he was to see his son. Lifted his robes up, showed his legs as he ran to his son. What an incredible picture of just how much God loves us. And how much God desires for you to be with Him. To be in the family of God. To be in fellowship with Him. Truly is an amazing story, but I'm getting ahead of myself. and So let's get back to the beginning of it. Jesus says the young man goes to his father and says, Father, I really don't care about you. 
I just want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance now. I don't want to have to wait until you're dead. Actually, you're not that important to me. I just want what's coming to me. For a child, a son, to say this to their father, I mean, that's the the grounds for, for stoning somebody back in that culture, back at that time. And yet, that's not what the father does. The father actually divides his inheritance and gives some to his son. Now that inheritance, some of that inheritance that was handed down, it wasn't just supposed to bless one person. We often think that because of our society. But blessings like land and and possessions, they were meant to bless the whole, the whole family. But this son was so selfish, he didn't want the others to be blessed by that. He wanted it for himself. Clearly Jesus is, is painting a picture of a very selfish young man. He's very focused on himself. I think his, his attitude is a lot like the attitude of a lot of those people on that annoying commercial. I'm sure you've all seen it. It's my money and I want it now. You ever heard that one? Oh, I used to cringe when I heard that thing. But that's the attitude here. It's my money and I want it now. Well, after the young man is given his inheritance, he packs up and heads off to Sunset Strip in some distant land. There he wastes his money and time and energy on, on women and song and, and wine, and he just lives for himself. He gets so messed up that eventually he wastes all his money and he ends up being homeless on Skid Row. Since he was starving and there was a famine in the land, he was desperate. And yet despite that, because I'm sure the famine was affecting everyone, no one was very generous with the young man. In fact, no one was. Finally, he got a job slopping pigs, which for a Jew, that was unheard of. Because a pig wasn't kosher. It was just something you never touched. But the boy was willing to do that because he was that hungry. And apparently because the wages that he was being paid barely fed him, he looked at those pods, at the slop that was being given to the pigs, and it looked good. Now we've had hogs throughout our our lives, my family, and Usually hog slop is all the leftovers, right? You just keep putting it in the bowl or the bucket and then you give it to the pig and he eats it all. I remember when we lived in uh, New Mexico, I'd put buckets in uh, um, Rehoboth School and uh, they'd have lunch and all the kids would scrape their plates into the buckets and I'd come home with 10 gallons of good food jet and it really didn't cost that much to feed a pig, but still, completely different. That looked good to this young man because that's how hungry he was. And so eventually, he starts to reflect on his life, which I think we all often do at times like this. When things aren't going well, when you're standing at the bottom of the well, that's when you look up and you start thinking, wow, I really didn't have it so bad before. How in the world did I get myself into this situation? And so he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'd rather be one of my, my father's hired servants who's well-fed than to be in this far-off country with nothing in my belly. 
I'd rather not stay here and starve to death. And so you know the rest of the story that he eventually went home. Now in this story, I find a, a number of truths that I, I think can kind of guide us as we seek to transform our lives. And the first is you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You've got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. For the prodigal son, our text says that he wasted it all, he had nothing left, he got desperate and hungry, and he finally came to his senses. You can just see the steps that took place in that. Basically, you need to get to the point where you find yourself saying, I don't like being like this. I don't like where my life is, where my life has gone, what I've become. And I don't like the sin that I see in my life. I'm, I'm tired of standing at the bottom of the well and I'm, I'm ready to go home. This is really what David said in Psalm 32, verse 3. David said he felt like his bones were wasting away, leaving him with nothing to do but groan, Psalm 32 says. David knew that his sins had brought him far from God. And his stubborn pride, it was keeping him from seeking God, going after him. And so God helps him, verse 4. Day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me, sapping my strength like on a hot summer's day. In other words, God was putting the squeeze on David. He's putting the squeeze on him. And that's never a comfortable feeling, is it? No one likes to feel God working in their lives like that because it can be often quite uncomfortable. But to hear God giving David the squeeze, does that sound very loving to you? Does that sound loving? Is that really what we want God to do? And the answer is yes. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't care about us. But he does. And he's at work in our hearts, at work in our lives. And when he sees things that are not pleasing to him, he's going to go after them. And he's going to change them. When he sees sin that we're not willing to confess or deal with, that's what he's going to focus our eyes on. He does that not because he wants to punish us, not because he hates us, He does that out of love because he wants to restore us back into fellowship with him. He wants to again be able to walk with us and embrace us with those loving arms. He wants us to come home. Only then are you ready for the next step in your spiritual transformation. You need to own up to your sin. You need to own up to your sin. First you get fed up and then you own up. First you get fed up, and then you own up. Verse 17, we're told the prodigal son came to his senses and was finally able to admit that he had sinned against heaven and against his father. Nothing's going to happen until you're willing to take this step as well. You need to be willing to admit to yourself and to God that you have been living for yourself on a path of your own choosing, that there's sin in your life that you're not pleased with, that you're ashamed of, and ask God to forgive you. It says, Isaiah 59, 2 says, 
Your sins have separated you from your God, making God hide his face from you so that he does not hear you when you call. That's what sin does when it's allowed to just exist in our lives, when we don't deal with it, when it just sits there. It becomes a barrier between us and God. And until you deal with that, we can't again experience that sweet fellowship with God. We can't feel and experience His love. When God seems far away, when, when your prayers seem pointless, when it feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, off the walls, what's usually going on? A lot of times it's because of the sin in our lives that we've not yet dealt with, that we need to take care of, that we need to lay at the cross of Jesus and know that there's, there's forgiveness there. There's forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. And so why carry that burden any longer? Why not just lay it down at Jesus' feet and begin to walk in the freedom that Christ won for us? This is what we see the prodigal son do, and that's really what we need to do. We need to come home, and we need to find the love and forgiveness that Jesus alone can provide for us. Listen to the way one hymn writer puts this, this truth. I've tired of sin and straying, Lord. Now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love, believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open now thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. Just like the prodigal son, we need to be willing to return home and confess our sins to God. That's what David does in verse 5 of Psalm 32. Then I acknowledged my sin, and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then what does the Lord do? Does he rub his nose in it? Does he say, well, I'll forgive you this time, but that's it. I ain't going to forgive you again. You've, you've blown it too many times. No, verse 5 says, God forgave the guilt of my sin. Period. God forgave us. God forgave you. God forgave me. And he set us and made us clean. This is what, what the prodigal son, son's father did when, in our, our, our text. We're told the father was filled with love and, and compassion. When he saw his son heading home and he hiked up his robes and he ran to him. He had forgiven him even before his son asked for that forgiveness. Oh, it must have felt good to hold his son in those, his arms of love. How he had probably been praying for his son, hoping that he would return. And finally he was here. And then on top of it, he does the unexpected. He showers his son with all these incredible gifts. You know the story and I encourage you to look at that all a little bit more later. But all these gifts he, he, he gives his son. Why, why would you do that? He should have punished his son. His son deserved to be stoned. And yet this father shows him grace. And he shows him love. Do you see Jesus in this parable? Like the father, Jesus raced to our side. But Jesus not only shamelessly bared his legs, but his back as well. Along with his palms and his feet too. He let, these be, he let these be whipped and pierced. 
He suffered a most, the most humiliating death that anyone could experience. And he did all that out of his love for you and me. He did that so that we might be able to come home. And then he throws his son a party. Another. Who would do that? What, what had his son done to deserve this party? He came home. He came to his senses. You throw a party for that? No, but the father did. And I think really the point of Jesus' parable here is the party really wasn't for his son. The party was to celebrate the father, his love, his mercy, and his grace. That's how Psalm 32 ends. How does David respond to the incredible grace and forgiveness God had shown him? Verse 11, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing all you who are upright in heart. As David sings that, it's really a a song, he includes himself as he describes what what we're called to do, to sing our, our, our praise to the to the Lord. But David too, how, how can he do that? How can he call himself righteous? What had he done to deserve righteousness? Think about all the sin in his life. Think about how he had committed adultery. Think about how he had murdered somebody. And yet he's calling himself righteous? You bet he is. Because he knows that God alone can forgive him. That God was willing to take away his sin. And that's what he said, clean me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 51. He knows only God can do that for him. He can't do it himself. And he knows that God wants to. Because he serves a God who is merciful and gracious and loving. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross and then rose from the grave. His righteousness became ours. And so now when God looks at you, when he looks at me, he doesn't see our sin. He sees only the righteousness of his son. The story of Camelot, when King Arthur was away, Guinevere, his wife, was unfaithful to Sir Lancelot. When King Arthur returned and found out about the affair, he had his wife placed in a convent. Towards the end of the story, in a, in a beautiful scene, he goes down to the convent and visits with her, trying to make everything right. And in the closing lines of that story, he says, Lo, I forgive thee, even as the eternal God forgives. And then he returned home, went back to the palace. Is that how our eternal God forgives us? Does he leave us in the convent? Does he leave us in our sin? Does he leave us in our circumstances? No. He comes and he invites us to come home. If King Arthur truly loved his wife, he would have said that to his wife. Honey, pack your bags. Me and the kids, we want you back. We want you to come home. But he didn't do that. But our Father in Heaven did. And he invites each of us to return home to him. In his book, Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway, he tells a story about a father in Spain who had a son named Paca. 
Because of his son's rebellion, Paca and his father, they became estranged with each other. The father was bitter and angry toward his son for something that the boy had done. And finally, the, the, the father becomes so angry, he kicks his son out of the house and says, don't come back home. But after years of, of bitterness, dealing with his anger, the father finally realizes that he was wrong. And so he wants his son to return home. But he can't find his son. He doesn't know where his son had gone. And so finally, in desperation, the father placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper. The ad read, Paca, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. Put that in an ad. Put it in the paper. It's helpful to know that Paca is a rather common name in Spain. And Hemingway wrote, when the father arrived the next morning at 9 a.m., there were 600 young men by the name of Paca standing in front of that office, waiting for their dad's forgiveness, waiting to be restored to him. This is the gospel story. God placed a classified ad on the cross, and in Jesus Christ he declared, all is forgiven. Won't you come home? Won't you come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And this is what you're about to taste as you come to the table of the Lord. It's a celebration of, of Jesus, of all that he's done for us, of his love and his grace and his mercy, that in Jesus our sins have been forgiven because of the death and resurrection of our, our Savior, Jesus. This is how much God loves you right here. God sent His one and only Son so that we could again be in fellowship with Him. That's how much He loves you. This morning, how will you respond to that? Well, the first thing we do is we need to accept that love. We need to ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. But then you also have to live for Him. You've got to put Him first. You've got to ask Jesus to come and renew every part of us, even our minds, so we might start making choices and decisions that are pleasing to God and not just about us. If you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, then I encourage you to lay your excuses down and to come to your Father who is waiting with His arms open wide. Coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open now thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. A, lo- a love that we can't even begin to comprehend. Father, may that same love be evident in our lives and all that we do. But Lord, may this love be more than just something we know. May it be a love that we live out a love that we return and share not only with others, but more importantly, with you, making you our first love. Lord, this gift of grace, how could we ever thank you enough? But we pray that our lives will truly show you that you are first in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.